0: We give you free reign this morning to work in our hearts and our minds. I pray that that would be each one of our prayers this morning. That whatever you want to say and speak to us. I pray that we would not just hear but we would listen. Father if there's any wicked way in us this morning. I pray that you would bring it to the front of our mind. That we might confess it. We might repent of it. That we would ask your forgiveness and know that if we confess, you are faithful and just. And you not only forgive us of that, Father, but you, pur- you purify us from all unrighteousness. For your name's sake, it's, it's because of the blood of Jesus, the power, the truth. And Father, I pray that as we continue through this series that that you would would help us to know truth. Father, that we would see myth and mistruth a mile away. Father, thank you for the message you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this series... uh, can, can we still believe the Bible? We started a couple weeks ago talking about how we got the Bible, how, how it was determined which books and which letters were, were written, which were inspired by God. And, and we looked at the process that, that the, that historians and theologians and, and, and Christians went through to put the Old and the New Testaments together. And, and we saw that they were scrutinized by apostles and eyewitnesses within a generation of their writing uh, to be determined whether to be included or not and how internally even New Testament books refer to themselves. This is the word of God. This was inspired by him. It is powerful for teaching and correction. And correction. How originally the the Bible was written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, and how we looked at and then last week we looked at how how the Bible was then translated from those languages into our own language, and how we get our present day English translations. Now, there, there were three things that we looked at that uh, that, determ- that, that they used to determine whether a uh, a book of the Bible or a letter was was authentic or not. Um, and those things were. Um, apostolicity, you know, that's within one generation. Uh, catholicity, which means it was ge- generally and widely used and attributed by, by Christians all over, and also orthodoxy. Um, it was this true to what Jesus taught and what he said. Now, I want to, just, just came up yesterday on the news, and I noticed this, maybe you read it, biblical prophecy claims the world will end on September 23rd. We got one week, baby, and it's all over. Now, here's the thing. Some people might read that and say, wow, this guy, I mean, he's a Christian numerologist. He, he says that the world's going to end next Saturday when a planet will supposedly collide with the earth. According to this guy, David Mead, he takes verses out of the book of Luke, 21, 25 to 26, and these are the signs that recent events, such as the recent solar eclipse and Hurricane Harvey, uh, are signs of the apocalypse, and then it goes on to say, you know, here's what he says. Now, at the very end of this article, I want to read you what it says. It says, um, it's not the very end, I guess. Anyway, okay, I can't find it right at the moment. Um, Well, it, it says, um, September is a momentous date for biblical prophecy and Christians need to be careful about being drawn into such sensational claims. Okay, here's the thing. It's one guy. There isn't anyone else across the planet in orthodox Christianity who says, yes, he's right. And and that is one of the ways that we can, uh, that is an indicator of whether somebody really knows what they're talking about. You know, it's like, well, is anybody else mentioned this? Is anybody else talking about this? And the answer to that is... An emphatic no. And then, and then of course, um, my comment to anybody that says, you know, the, earth's gonna, the world's going to end or the apocalypse is going to occur in such and such a date, and if I'm counting on that, right, how do I know I'm even going to make it to that date? I may not make it to September 23rd. So the biggest question and the, the, the most important question we can all ask ourselves is, am I ready right now, today? Because today could be the day. Um, I, I'm not saying that we shouldn't observe signs. I, I'm not saying that. But, but the ultimate, most important question is, for all of us and our neighbors and our children, is am I ready today? Because it could be today. Now That was just a side kind of note of, of the series that we're in. Um, but, but I think it goes to, to show that it's important that, that a large number of people agree uh, on something. So that, that's one of the ways in which the Bible came to us. Um, we, we, we looked at how difficult it is to translate uh one language into another last week. Um and we saw that there's three different types of translations. Again to review for those who weren't here last week. There's there's the there's the literal translations, which include the New American Standard Bible, which try to keep as close to the original language and order of the words and sentences as they possibly can. Um, there are dynamic equivalent translations like the NIV, which which do a little bit of the of the translation and a and a little bit of the interpretation for us as as they go along and try and make it both readable and um, true to the original translation and then there are f- what what are called free translations or uh, a modern word for that is paraphrase the New Living Translation and um, the message are both are both paraphrases and they fall along this continuum and it goes from the most literal to the most free. Now, somebody corrected me on a statement that I made last week. I, I said out loud that, that we can trust all of the modern English translations, that, that they went through uh, very rigorous um, scholar, uh, scholarly, just whatever, investigation and all of that. That statement generally, is generally true of all of the known evangelical translations. Um, and and I wanted to correct that a little bit. Um, first of all, I overstated that. There are some English translations that we absolutely have to stay away from. Okay, there's two I want to mention this morning. I doubt you even know that much about them. Um, the first one uh, is called the NWT. It's the... Uh, Rats. Thank you. I think that's what it is. I didn't put that in here. Um, It's the New World Translation. This is the Jehovah's Witnesses Bible. It's what they bring to your house when they come to speak to you. It's the New World Translation. And the New World Translation, um, these two translations that I'm going to tell you about um, are in fact convenient for those in those religions or cults as may be, um, but they're inconvenient in the fact that, that they're wrong. Um, they're not actual translations. They, they have changed things in those. Um, they have added or taken out things. Like the New uh, World Translation has traded legitimate translation for sectarian theology. It's to support and to, to continue to prove that their thinking is right. The most famous example of this from that translation is John chapter 1, 1, which reads, In the beginning the Word was, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Okay, that's how they translate that. Of course, this error among others occur throughout this translation when it helps their idea of promoting the fact that Jesus was not God. Okay, he was just a God. And all throughout the New World Translation, it says that. And it's a mistranslation. Then there's the Joseph Smith Translation. And the Joseph Smith Translation distorts key texts even further and even more drastically for John 1 1 in the Joseph Smith translation reads this way. In the beginning was the gospel preached through the son and the gospel was the word and the word was with the son and the son was with God and the son was of God. It's not even a translation. It's, it's, it's a string of sentences to, to somehow lead you and to support you in believing what they are saying is true. Um, it's not a translation in any sense of the word, uh, but a, but a series of changes and additions to the text. So there are some English translations out there that we should be wary of that promote their own agenda. Okay. Secondly, I want to mention um, three websites. I listed them in your in your uh, notes sheet right there that uh, that can be very useful for help in, in your study of the Bible. Um, immediate access to commentaries. Uh, a wide variety of commentaries also um, one of the websites that I really like is the StudyLight website that's listed there. Um, you, can, you can read it in the original language. You can, you can bring up a verse. It will put the verse there. It will show you the original language. And then, and then it will highlight particular words in that language that you can read um, the definition and the description of. And it will also show you how many times it's used in the entire Bible and and, uh, and how it's used. In all of the rest of the Bible. So, very good, very good resources for you as you study um, and as you continue, I hope, studying the first three chapters of the book of Acts leading up to our campaign. Uh, maybe some of you can even teach the book of Acts better than me because you've studied it harder in the last two or three weeks than, than I have. Um, so, so, on to our topic for the day. Miracles versus reality. When I put that title for the bulletin, uh, my secretary said, "Um, is this right? You know, miracles versus reality. Um, Yes, it is right. Because for so many people, those are the only two options. You either believe in miracles or you believe in reality. Uh, They both can't be true. It's either one or the other. And, uh, and, And so many people... In our culture today, are thinking that and 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 a a theory or a theology of miracles being essentially myth or legend is is constantly being promoted. Although there are uh, books, uh, Craig Keener has written, uh, uh, has done some investigation worldwide, and and lists miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle that have occurred, and 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 he's scrutinized these. Uh, you know, were there eyewitnesses to this? Did it, did it actually happen? Or did this person make this up? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, uh, Craig, Dr. Blomberg lists many of those in, in the book, which I'm not going to be able to cover. Um, he does a very good job in, in the chapter on, on this in his book talking about miracles. Um, but, but it seems to be that the, the there are those two options in our culture today. It's either reality or it's a miracle. And a definition, their definition of of a reality, um, essentially is: uh, can it be scientifically proven or observed? Um, did it actually happen in the natural world? So, so they would say that 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 a miracle, something that happened that was outside of nature or 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 caused nature to to operate in an unnatural way simply didn't happen, or there's a natural explanation to that. Now, there are myths. There are good stories invented by men and women to promote legends. Some people say that's what the Bible is. You know, it's just, it's just a bunch of stories and stuff that, that to, to promote this one way of thinking. Now, if you were wanting to promote a legend, just as a side note, again to, to my notes this morning, if you are wanting to promote a legend, do you think there would be things in the Bible like uh, a king who had adultery, who committed adultery? I mean, there, there's there's lots of things to think about. There's lots of truth in Scripture that really isn't great. It's it's it shows how imperfect the people were, how imperfect the servants of God were, and if you were wanting to promote and and proclaim a legend you're probably going to leave that stuff out and so that's just one of the things one of the reasons why I think we can believe the Bible as much as we can because it's just blatantly honest and authentic and genuine about people. And, and that's why it's so good for us to know it and read it because um, the, the Bible says that there's nothing new under the sun and that is so true. When we think that we're going through something that no one on earth has ever gone through before, we can. it's not long reading the pages of Scripture where we find something very similar to what we're feeling and, and we see how God uh, deals with that and how God works through that. But there, but there are legends and myths that, that fit this way of thinking. Um, in fact, have you ever had your children come to you and say, um... You know, we're learning about Greek mythology in school. Did that really happen? Have you ever wondered that? I, I went through a period of time where I thought, did this, it, You know, they call it Greek mythology, but, but, but it's as if these gods actually existed and they actually did all of these things. And, and, uh, and so there are ways of thinking out there that people can use to control the minds of people or get them to think a certain way, and Greek mythology is an example of that. So a couple definitions. Reality, I already said that. Many would say that that it's real only if it happened in reality and if it's scientifically provable or we can quantify it somehow. Um, So if there's a healing or someone is saved from a car accident in some way, shape, or form, miraculously, um, we can always come up with some sort of natural reason why that happened. That's reality. Uh, any other attempt to explain it, uh, explain something, and you move into the realm of myth. But you see, I have a problem with this because there's things that happen that, that I have seen happen that can't be explained any other way. Really, they can't. Um, you know, I don't, I don't care how much time passes and how much knowledge about things we get, there are things that occur in life that we can't explain. Those are called miracles. They're called miracles. Now, a miracle is something that happens in the natural world, in the world that we live in, that really can't be explained naturally. I know that's crazy and that's really deep and, and, and a wide uh, definition, but that's what it is. Blomberg says it this way. He says, Miracles should not be defined as the violation of the normal laws of nature or of the universe, but as involving their temporary suspension or transcendence. Now, as I think about that, I think, well, here's the thing. So you're saying, Dr. Blomberg, that miracles are supernatural. Yes, they are. They're supernatural. They're, they're outside of nature. They, 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 whether God suspends it or he changes it, for crying out loud, he created it, right? He can do whatever he wants with it. He can stop the sun for hours. He can part the waters. He can can cause earthquakes and and all things like that. I'm not saying he does them all, but he can do that. Now, I'm willing to say that nearly everyone in the room here today has experienced a miracle in their life at some point in time. Now, here's the thing about miracles. Sometimes, sometimes Sometimes we don't see them. We don't notice a miracle happening on our behalf, uh, and we just pass right on by. Um, maybe that miracle was a car that was ready to waver into our lane. Didn't. God supernaturally uh, reached in and changed that situation for us. I have, I, I have descriptions of that in my own life. Sometimes um, a, a miracle happens in our life, and, and, uh, and we find ways to explain it away. Well, it was the amazing, uh, you know, medical field or whatever. It was this amazing doctor or it was this medicine. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was an actual miracle that, that we witnessed. And, and then I think the, the other option there is uh, is that we see a miracle and we acknowledge it. And we say, God, thank you for that miracle that you just did in my life. Amen. What a blessing that was. Um. now my dad years ago I don't even remember how the other, the other day I would say but years ago um, had a cancerous tumor on his liver uh, they diagnosed it they identified it they saw it on a CAT scan and then they went in to surgically remove it and when they got in there guess what nothing there nothing there So, well, part of you could say, well, they misdiagnosed it. They didn't look at the picture clearly. Or you could say, man, God just did a miracle there. He took that away. We were praying for that, of course. Um, uh, Another another, uh, story. Um, We were on a mission trip in San Francisco, and one evening we all took thermoses of hot chocolate, and we went up and down Skid Row or one of them in in downtown San Francisco and we passed out hot chocolate to all of the homeless people that were hanging out on the street. It was a cold night and I, I couldn't tell you how many cups of hot chocolate we handed out. We kept handing them out and handing them out and handing them out and handing them out. I'm telling you the thermos never ran dry and it should have. We got back to the place and just were amazed God you know you Likely did a miracle right before our very eyes. Thank you. Um, another one. Uh, there was a United Flight Airlines 232 that crashed in a fiery ball in Sioux City, Iowa. Maybe you remember this airplane crash. They, they, were, they were having to go through the air in big wide circles. And, and you know, there was a movie about it. Well, there was a there was an older couple in Pine Bluffs, Wyoming whose daughter was on that flight and was headed back east with her young son. And um, in the middle of the night, I think they'd gone to bed earlier. I don't remember how the story went, but they both just got this sense that they just needed to pray for their daughter. And so they did. They prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And then not too long after that, they got word that their daughter had been in it. A plane crash. Now, um, talking to their daughter and her son, who both miraculously survived the plane crash, um, her story of how this went down was she and her son, she was going back east to attend the funeral of her husband who had committed suicide. She's sitting in the seat with her son, they get word that the plane's in trouble. The, 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 the plane crew goes through with them all of the emergency stuff and, and she said, I remember the stewardess saying assume the crash position. She had Jimmy in her lap. She leaned over with him in her lap and grabbed her ankles or her lower legs as best she can and she said, the next thing I remember was Jimmy in my hands running through a cornfield barefooted. Now, you tell me Can you explain that naturally? I don't think so. You go home and YouTube that. Watch the crash. In my... It was a miracle. It was a miracle. There are things that happen today that are examples of the power and and might of God. And he is still working today in our world that young man was a counselor at camp out here when it was Rimrock for years. <laughs> we always made fun of his name, Jimmy Carter. His name was Jimmy Carter. And it was a miracle that he was alive. And he's married, he has kids, he serves the Lord today. Um, an amazing story. So what are the miracles that that you know of off the top of your heads from the Old Testament? I put a space in your... In your uh, in your notes there, to list some of those things. Um, what, what, what are the miracles of the Old Testament that come to your mind? I, I think of creation. What a miracle of God that spoke life into existence. I think the parting of the Red Sea, uh, um, the ram being tied up in the, in the brush for, for Abraham to use as a sacrifice. I think of a burning bush. Um, I, I, some people may say he was delusional, and, and he just that was a vision that he had. Okay, okay, he saw a burning bush, God talked to him, and then what does Moses do? He goes to Pharaoh, and and God lets the people of Israel go, because of what? More miracles. The parting of the Red Sea, I mean, all throughout the Old Testament, the, the, the amazing parting of the Jordan River, the falling of the walls of Jericho. Now, what do the majority of those events have in common there were lots and lots of people that experienced them. I mean, one person says this happened to me, we can kind of call that into question and wonder and investigate and find out if what they really experienced was true. And in our culture today, we're highly skeptical of, well, I am, highly skeptical of, of stuff like that. But when you have hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people that experience these things, and they bear witness to those, it, it just shows me that, that it's true, that it happened. Um, in fact, there are people today who would say, well, there's no archaeological proof of the events in the Exodus, for instance. You know, there, there's no archaeological proof that the Israelites were really slaves of the Egyptians. While that's mostly true, they have found significant um, items throughout the middle of the Red Sea. Not sure how those got there. You know, somebody floated a boat across and threw stuff out right and left, right? Um, there is hieroglyphic paintings from Egypt from the 15th century that depict foreign slaves making mud bricks under the supervision of Egyptian overseers. And we do have archaeological evidence for the sudden appearance or growth of towns in many places in Israel at about the right time where they would have come home. It's important to remember that a lack of archaeological evidence doesn't prove that it didn't happen. In fact, in my opinion, as we have seen bear out in the last hundred years, just wait a little bit longer. Something's going to come to the surface. Something's going to show up. They're going to find something that will continue to support and show that what happened in the Old Testament happened in the Old Testament. What about the New Testament miracles? What, what comes to mind when you think of the New Testament miracles? People walking on water, right? Defeating um, of the 5,000. It's kind of similar to our hot chocolate story a little bit. Um, what's that? Yeah, Jesus turned water to wine. Um, why would he do that? Um, what else? Anybody else have any? Shout them out really loud because I'm... Lazarus. Lazarus. Yeah. that's ah, just a little one, right? Jesus raised somebody from the dead? Okay, I heard two. It, oh, yeah, yeah, the, the, the apostles, right? Uneducated men are, are just proclaiming the good news of the gospel and, and in multiple languages. So, so people are like, Whoa. you know, at first they're like, these guys are drunk, right? Must have been drinking that wine that Jesus turned the water into. Um, but they heard it with their very own ears. That, doesn't, that just doesn't happen, right? We don't just wake up speaking another language. As much as I'd really like to have that happen, um, it it's, it doesn't work that way. There was something over here. Yeah, Jesus restoring the sight of the blind. Even the Pharisees acknowledged this stuff. They saw it happen right before their very eyes, and they just couldn't get past Jesus claiming to be God. To believe that he wasn't being somehow run by the devil is is one of their statements. Um, now, do you ever wonder what the purpose of miracles is? Sometimes, I think we think the purpose of miracles was simply to for Jesus to prove to everybody that he was god but but there are there are other um, purposes uh, I think there 's essentially three um, they 're not just random acts of God they um, they reveal uh, god 's power and glory. Yes, they do you know Jesus when he healed the blind. Uh, the blind young man, um, at first, they said, well, who sinned, his parents or him, right? They're trying to find a reason why he was blind. And Jesus said, neither. He said, this this young man was blind so that you might, what, see the power of God. Um, so there are certainly miracles that happen to reveal God's power and glory. Um, there are miracles that occur to Uh, to aid in some sort of purpose, um, to bless and help the followers of Christ. Yes, there are miracles that occur. Now, some would say, um, but there are other religions that talk about miraculous things happening within their religion. Um, However, Dr. Blomberg would say that's few and far between. A lot of other religions don't claim or proclaim um, miracles that happen. But... But God does uh, do, do miracles for other people, for, for people that aren't Christ followers. They experience miracles in their life too. Um, God does amazing things. So miracles are, in fact, so those three reasons that I gave you there were um, re- to reveal God's power and glory, if you're taking notes, um, to bless and help the followers, his followers, Christians, and also... Um, on behalf of people who aren't Christ followers. Um, So miracles are, in fact, a reality. They're not myth. They're not legend. Um, They occur. They're not the polar opposite of reality. And, And we can be confident in saying that. And here's why we can be confident in saying that. It's the reality of miracles. And it's all of the reliable witnesses Time after time after time, we have examples of miracles that were that were uh, experienced by thousands and thousands of people at the same time. In the Old Testament, by hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. In the New Testament, um, the nation of Israel, the Roman world, the disciples—all of those people saw Jesus alive after he was crucified. Lots of those people saw him just as they were present to disqualify books and letters of the Bible. They were there to to bear witness to the power of God reaching into their world. Now some would say yeah Jesus was dying he was hanging on the cross and there happened to be an earthquake. The sun, there happened to be an eclipse at that moment in time, at the same time as there's an earthquake. And oh, yeah, there was this really weird thing that happened in the temple. The the temple curtain was torn from top to bottom. There is no way you can explain those three events naturally. Yes, there are eclipses. Yes, there are earthquakes. But what are the odds of those things happening at the same time when Jesus is hanging on the cross? It was a miracle. Luke 1, 1 and 2 It says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Now, Dr. Blomberg is going to be preaching over that text next week, and I look forward to hear uh, what he has to say, and I hope that you are too. But of all of the miracles that were done, there was one miracle that was the most life-changing miracle of all. And, and that was the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. Um, Jesus spoke of it before he died, like in John 11, 24, 25, and 26. His conversation surrounding the, the raising of Lazarus. Martha, uh, it says, Martha answered, I know he, meaning Lazarus, this was before Jesus raised him from the dead, will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha, do you believe that I am the Messiah? And do you believe that when you put your faith and trust in me, that you will also rise again at the resurrection? And she says, yes, I absolutely do. Not knowing or recognizing that Jesus is going to prove that he has the power to do that. By raising Lazarus from the dead. You see, dead men don't rise. Dead men don't breathe again. In fact, that's one of the claims of, of those who were against miracles continue to make, although it's, it's less and less today, that, that there is no such thing as a resurrection. That it's not even possible. Well, naturally, it's not. But supernaturally, it is. And, and Jesus said whoever lives by believing in me will never die do you believe this she did he goes out he shows her that he has the power to do this the new testament shows us shortly after jesus was crucified that one of his followers a person of means offered to put the body of jesus in his own tomb and when he put the body in his own tomb uh, the pharisees convinced the romans to seal it up solid so that so that so that Jesus' followers couldn't come steal the body and promote this lie that, that, that the resurrection is possible. So they put the body of Jesus in this tomb, and then there's this stone that they roll in front of the entrance. Uh, the Romans roll it over there. They, uh, the, the stamp is put on it. It's sealed. which at that moment in time made moving of the stone a federal offense. They put prison guards up, and these are not just, you know, these are marine-like guards. These are the best of the best. And in their mind, this whole deal with Jesus was over. All his teachings, all of the controversy, all of the the stuff that he promoted, the dreams that were ignited in so many people, the threat to the religious and the governmental establishment, it was done. It's it's locked up in this cave. Now, there was a documentary a few years back on the Discovery Channel called The Lost Tomb of Jesus. Uh, Maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't. I've not actually seen it personally. Um... But it inspired some controversy around the world and a lot of conversation. And, and for these, these programs always seem to find their way onto our televisions around Easter time. Right? Jesus is a big topic in all of the world around Easter time. So the theory behind this, um, the lost tomb of Jesus, was that the actual bones and the remains of Jesus were discovered in 1980. In a construction site outside of Jerusalem, there was a big condo development being built and they came across a crypt and in this crypt were ossuaries and these ossuaries were limestone boxes that contained the remains of people from antiquity. So they see several ossuaries and one of them has the name of Mary on it. Oh, that, that's a well-known name, that piqued some interest I'm sure. Another had the name of Jesus on it. Another has another form of the word Mary on it. Another has the word Judah on it. And apparently, these names being in this same tomb gave indication that the bones in them were of the Mary, Mary Magdalene, Jesus, and Judah, who was known as, in secular worlds, the son of Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Okay. And... The bones in the one uh, in the ossuary that, held, that had Judah's name were, were youth. So they created this big story about this crypt, and a movie director, little-known movie director, James Cameron, who directed Titanic, got on board, and, and they did this documentary that claimed that these ossuaries prove that Jesus never resurrected in the first place. His bones are still here. Now, this is very important because our faith hinges on the resurrection. Paul even says, if the resurrection didn't really occur, this is all just useless stuff we're doing. So one guy said, couldn't it be possible, really, that it happened just the way that it said in the documentary? Isn't it a possibility? And, and I thought, you know, I'd like to ask that guy a question. Like this, what do you think? Couldn't it be possible that Abraham Lincoln was not shot and killed in the Ford Theater, but he slipped in his bathtub, hit his head, and went into a coma for one or two months before he passed away? Isn't it possible that John F. Kennedy was killed with a bow and arrow instead of a bullet? Isn't it possible that Martin Luther King Jr. was Killed in a car accident instead of on a balcony in Memphis. Couldn't that be a possibility? No. Right? None of those things are a possibility. Why? Because of all the eyewitnesses. All the people that saw it occur. And could testify to the fact that it didn't happen that way. It happened this way. Lincoln was shot in the Ford Theater. Kennedy was shot. With a bullet, as was Martin Luther King on a balcony in Memphis. What does an eyewitness do? Nate, you're a lawyer. I think that's well known in this room. I'm not exposing you in any certain way or anything. What does an eyewitness do? Yeah, testify to what? To what they saw. Exactly. So um, I'd like to remind all of us that, that Jesus was subject to the historical method like any other person who lived. Uh, he, he was born. He was raised. Uh, he was born. He was raised in Jerusalem. He was a public person. People were eyewitnesses of his life, and they were eyewitnesses of his teachings. They wrote down his words, and later historians sorted out what had been written, and it's been preserved for us. Now, the new story, I think, in order to prove that, that, that crypt ossuary story is that they found a bracelet in there that said, what would I do? <laughs> right? Just seeing if you're awake. So here's the thing. Um, within one generation of Jesus' life, that's not true, by the way. <laughs> just just want to point that out. I want that showing up on Facebook later today. <clears throat> um, within one generation of Jesus' life, while there were still eyewitnesses around to challenge it, over 500 people saw him alive after he was crucified. Okay, Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses one through six. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you. Of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand, and many died, I might add. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve and after that he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though a few of them have fallen asleep. They could still bear eyewitness to this and they could deny it, but they know this is the truth. He lived, he died, he rose again and he lives to this day. The whole city of Jerusalem knew about it. The odds are so against that tomb being the place where the bones of Jesus are. There's, just no, inf- There's just no support for it. But, but as Jesus' resurrection was a miracle of all miracles, you might be thinking to yourself here this morning, I don't doubt that Jesus came back to life. It's not the historicity of the gospel or the, the resurrection that I have a problem with. What, what you wonder about is, is the relevance, the so what, what, what good is it for me? Why would I care? What difference does it make in my life, something that happened 2017 or so years ago? Well, I want to close with something this morning for all of us to think about and ponder over the next few weeks. It's Ephesians chapter 1, 19 and 20. Look up here on the screen for this one. It's, it says this, I pray that you will begin to understand the incredible greatness of his power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. You see, that power is available to you and to me on an everyday basis. It says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us. And that's a power to do miracles. And I guess my question for us this morning is what miracle do we need in our life? What miracle do you need in your life today? Maybe it's a health thing. Maybe it's a relationship thing. Maybe in some ways you've just absolutely given up on everything in life. And and you wonder if God is even there. And and my challenge to you this morning is ask for a miracle. See the Bible says that that we don't receive because we don't ask. <laughs> now, we don't get just because we ask. Okay, God is way more sovereign and bigger than that, and I don't know what his answer will be. But unless you're asking, we need to ask. We need to ask because because miracles are not myths. They're not legends. They happen. And they still happen today. And there is no reason why any of us in this room should believe that God would do a miracle for someone else and not us. That God loves someone else more than he loves me. You need to trust him for it. You need to ask him for it. Maybe you have a neighbor or a family member. We can't receive an answer if we don't ask in the first place. So as you think about, Caleb, come on up here. As you think about miracles and the power of the resurrection and how God's word says that that same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead God, God can and will wield that on our behalf, in our circumstance, whatever that might be. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love us immensely. Father, help us to uh, recognize you every day. Help us to trust you every day. Oh God, help us to see the reality of miracles. Help us to, to recognize them when you do them on our behalf and to just continue to testify and proclaim the truth. And now Lord, this last song we're going to sing here. We want to we lift your name high. We want to we walk out of this building today proclaiming the love and the joy and the care and the power of our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing this last song. Would you stand with us?